0: Church, in just a moment, we're gonna open up the scriptures. And Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3.16 about the scriptures. He says that it is, it's a Greek word, theopneustos. theos meaning God, and meaning breathed. It's God breathed. Do me a favor, take your hand and put it as close as you can to your face there and say this with me, breathed. Did everyone hear that? We all heard it. Did you feel it though? Yeah. See, the unique thing about the scriptures is, is that yes, we can hear it, it connect, it can connect within our five senses, but it has the ability to go much deeper than that. And my prayer, my heart today is that it would connect to your soul. If you feel comfortable doing this, would you just hold out your hands like you're accepting something? Father God, we're here this Sunday morning not for nothing, we're here for you. And God, some of us, we're on the brink, we're on the very edge, and we need you. God, and some of us, we're just used to the routine, and we need you. So God, move past our five senses today and connect soul to soul, God. Deal with issues that we have, God, and issues that we don't even know of yet. We want to meet you today. So we open our eyes and our ears, God, to you. In your name we pray. Everyone said, Amen, amen. amen. All right. We'll turn to someone as your seed and say, Man, you look great today. Well, welcome. You glad you're in church this morning? Yeah. yeah. Well, my name's Jake Mann. It's my pleasure to be here this morning. I uh, want to welcome everyone, especially those joining us online. Uh, we're going to have fun today. Is that okay to have fun in church? Okay, five people. That's okay. The rest of you guys can sit stiff, all right, the rest of the service. We're going to have some fun uh, today. We're going to dig into the scriptures in just a moment. Um, I want to talk to you In Bible college, I remember working at a restaurant one time and one of the waitresses that I was friends with who wasn't a believer was waiting on a table and she was waiting on a bunch of Christians and you could tell it was right after church and uh, they were talking to her about Jesus and I was kind of witnessing this while I was doing my work and I remember looking over and at some point she was kind of had her head bowed And they had her say uh, the sinner's prayer. And then she said amen, and she just went back to work. And I don't know about you, but in my heart, something was very unsettling about it. Something said, this isn't right. Um, It just didn't feel like... Scott McKnight, he's a modern-day contemplative, he's he's a modern-day theologian. He wrote this book called The King Jesus Gospel. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. In it, he makes this bold claim. He says that we, the church, okay, me and you, for the last several hundred years, have gotten the gospel wrong. That we've changed it. That we've changed it into a salvation-only gospel. A gospel that's just about making a decision to follow Christ, punching your ticket to heaven, and then going on your way. I think we can relate to this. I think we see this in culture today. Don't you? If if it's just about, what is the gospel, by the way? We could have a whole message about that, right? The gospel literally means the good, the good news. And if we look at how the disciples lived, if you read the book of Acts, it is major difference between what we see today in the church. Am I right, or is it just me? Dallas Willard, he wrote a book called Divine Conspiracy. I love it. And he describes this salvation-only gospel like this. Listen to this quote. The gospels of sin management presume a Christ with no serious work other than redeeming humankind, and they foster vampire Christians who only want a little blood for their sins, but nothing more to do with Jesus until heaven. Oh. Now Listen. I know, you're gonna kick back a little bit and say, salvation's good though. Yes, it is. But if that's all the gospel is, then I think we really missed it. If the gospel is only about getting to heaven, then all I'm doing is managing sins every day of my life. And, And here's the other fruit that we see of this. It puts God at a distance, doesn't it? Right? I make a decision. Okay, I'm going to heaven. Everything's taken care of. God, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. And we won't meet again until we get to heaven. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and we see how we live this. So, I read a book a little while ago. It was called Radical Christianity or something like that. Radical Christianity, right? I'm like, okay, this is going to be good. It's going to really challenge me. Do you know what one of the chapters was in it? Read your Bible. <laughs> really? Is that where we're at now? Where reading your Bible is radical Christianity? I think we've missed it. If the gospel doesn't affect every part of my life how I live, how I talk, how I have community, how I work, how I parent if it doesn't affect every part of my life, then it's not good news. Right? The rabbis used to teach their students. And they would take the text and they would say, the scriptures is like a jewel. If you hold that jewel up and you shine a light on it, you'll get a thousand different reflections of light and it's beautiful, isn't it? But here's what makes the scriptures powerful. If we twist the gem just a little bit and shine that light on it, you get a whole different perspective of light. This morning, I wanna twist the gem. I want to see if the scriptures has anything to say about this idea of just sin management, salvation only gospel, or if it goes much deeper than that. Are you ready to go on a journey? Okay, if you got your Bibles, open up to the book of Leviticus chapter 16, and I'm not joking. (laughs) I know, you're like, Leviticus, we came to the wrong Sunday service. (laughs) I love Leviticus, man. It's full of blood and guts, and it's got everything you want in an epic narrative. The Day of Atonement should be the title of chapter 16 there. Now, there are seven Jewish holidays and festivals in the calendar year. There is four in the spring, three in the fall. To launch the fall festivals and Jewish holidays, you have a holiday called Rosh Hashanah. Everyone say Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. Nicely done. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the new year. We celebrated it. Remember with the apples and honey, if you were here you know, a month ago or so? And, and Rosh Hashanah also is the inauguration of something called the 10 Days of Awe. Everyone say 10 Days of Awe. Days of awe. Now, the 10 Days of Awe was, was a 10-day period of, of fasting of reflection, of of deep soul searching. This was 10 days when you would pause life and you would reflect on your own life and not just your own life, but you would reflect on your community life and you would ask hard questions like, how am I doing? How are we doing? Where have we fallen short this year? Where have I fallen short this year? The, the Jewish uh, people would describe this time as almost agonizing. Like, like you were, it wasn't just, a, you know, okay, here we go. It was deep soul searching. It was, it was really going, God, I want everything exposed in my life. Where am I falling short? Now, this would all lead up to a festival, a holiday called Yom Kippur. Everyone say Yom Kippur. <clears throat> Yom Kippur are also known as the Day of Atonement. Uh, Atonement means to cover over. Now central to the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, you have a tabernacle, you have an altar, you have a couple goats, and you have a high priest. Now what we need here this morning is a high priest. If we could get a high priest here this morning, I could show you how this actually looks. Because you've got to remember, we're dealing with two cultures, Western cultures and Eastern cultures. Eastern cultures deal more with narratives, with pictures. East or Western cultures, like the ones we grew up in, is more definition and list-driven. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. So, so if I were to say, God loves you, Typically, in a Western mindset, we would say, Of course, God loves us because A, God gave his son. B, he, showed, he gave us the scriptures. C, right? E, not that this is wrong, but in Eastern culture, it's more like <clears throat> once upon a time, there was a son and a father, and the son said, Dad, I hate you. Give me all your inheritance. You hear me? So everything, the imagery that we see in Leviticus, the imagery that we see with everything, with all the rituals, they're all a symbol of something bigger, something greater. You'll notice our high priest, he's decked out and it is all intentional. Everything represents something. You'll see the 12 jewels. Anyone know what that represents? The 12 tribes. So you, your tribe, as you looked upon the high priest... You could see the jewel that represented you. It would be like looking at, a, at an Olympic athlete and seeing the American flag and going, that's, that's us. He's representing us. Now, are you an Olympic athlete? Nope. <laughs> no. You're like, I don't know. Well, let me think about that. No, but it represents us. He, he is going on behalf of us, right? So when you look at this and you see all the tribes, what are you saying? That's us. That's all of us. All right, Leviticus chapter 16, verse three. We'll start there. But in this way, Aaron, the high priest, shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So he goes in, he has to make sacrifice. He has to make sacrifice because he's got to make sure he's clean. Why does he have to make sure he's clean? Because he's representing us, right? He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarments on his body. The only reference to underwear that I know of in the Bible And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. And he shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. So you have this huge holiday. This is incredibly holy, even to this day. okay, The Day of Atonement is regarded as a major holy holiday. It is the, the uh, pinnacle of all the Jewish holidays because this was the day that your sins and my sins were to be forgiven for that year. Now, I wanna show you a picture of <clears throat> here, the tabernacle. This is what have, would have been where God dwelt Early on in the Old Testament, you'll see the altar there. There you have uh, in, it, where, where the Holy of Holies would be in the back there. You'd have the entrance there. Uh, go to the next slide. This is, would have been the second temple. All right, so this is the temple. It, it's gotten much bigger, right? Much more modern, you can see. This would have been the temple that Jesus would have worshipped at, that he would have gone to. Now, on the Day of Atonement, they estimate that there would have been about 219,000 people that would fill this area here. Here you have the outer gates, okay? In here you would have where the priests would go in. Just to give you perspective on size, on how big this is. These clusters of grapes at the top of the temple there, they say those cluster of grapes are roughly the size of a man. You see how big this is? You would go inside, and on the inside, you would see the table of bread, and, and over here, you would see the lights, uh, light stand. By the way, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. Yes. Maybe the temple is a picture of something much, much bigger that we just can't see yet. Yeah. Now, If you go in past that area, you'll see a giant curtain. Uh, Some historians say it was 70 feet tall, four inches thick. This is one heavy curtain. This curtain was the one thing that separated the priest from the Holy of Holies. Inside the Holy of Holies was the, uh, was the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. You didn't go in there. You didn't open that up, right? We all saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. <clears throat> a no-no. Face melts off, eyeballs pop out. You don't want to do that. This was a sacred area. This was, the priest would only go in here one time a year, and it was only the high priest. This, if, if you were watching this, Who was representing you? The high priest. And the high priest goes in there, and you have one more area of separation. It is the giant curtain that keeps you from the presence. Now, you have to picture this. I know it's hard for us to imagine this, okay, because we're so used to the idea of God living in our hearts, but but to a Jewish person in these early days before the Holy Spirit, before Jesus, that was not even, especially in a culture you know, where polytheism was so huge, where it was many gods, you had this idea of one God and that one God lived and resided in one place. Where? The temple inside the Holy of Holies. This is where he was. If you wanted to write a letter to God, you would address it, the temple, Holy of Holies because that's literally where God resided. Now, you saw in the scriptures, there was reference to him making a sacrifice, wearing linen garments. They would go to great extent to make sure that the high priest was pure and holy. Okay, He would bathe. You you read that, right? Uh, if If you scour the sources, you'll find written historical documents that tell us The priest, the night before the day of atonement, would there was literally a priest assigned only to keep the high priest awake the whole night before the day of atonement. Just in case he would have a nocturnal, how do you say that in church? I don't know. Just in case he made himself impure. They would have someone just to keep him away. Some documents tell us that they would even have a wife waiting in the wings just in case that night his wife died. They could marry him that quick so he would not be defiled. Now, why would they go to this extreme a measure? Because this man is representing who? Us. Us. You better hope he's got everything Right? Right? I mean, the last thing you want him doing is seeing him down at Charlie's knocking back a couple the night before, right? I mean, he's going before God for you. This was an intensely, when you looked at the high priest, it was like looking at a rock star. It was like seeing a queen. This guy was gonna go and represent you and me and hopefully, hopefully take care of all of our sins for the year. Now, there are historical documents that tell us, that give us firsthand descriptions of what this event looked like. And I wanna read a letter to you from a guy named Eris, and here's how he described the Day of Atonement. It was on occasion of great amazement to us when we saw Eliezer, the high priest, engaged in his ministry and all the glorious vestments, including the wearing of the garment with precious stones upon it in which he vested. Their priest's appearance, listen to this, makes one awestruck and dumbfounded. A man would think he had come out of this world into another. Next slide. I emphatically assert that every man who, who comes near the spectacle of what I have described will experience, what? Astonishment and amazement beyond words. His very being transformed by the hollowed arrangement on every single detail. You get the sense that we're dealing more, it's not just a high priest. It's not just a holiday. There's something deeper happening here, there's something more. Josephus, a Jewish historian, he, he records this of it. If one reflects on the construction of the tabernacle and looks at the vestments of the priests and the vessels which we use for the sacred ministry, listen to this, he will discover that every one of these objects is intended to recall and represent the universe. It, it's, like, it's like heaven and earth is kind of meeting and the line is getting blurry here. Do you, do you see this, this uh, awestruck kind of event like being painted out? It wasn't just a noise, something much bigger was happening. Verse seven. Listen to this. Then he, the high priest, shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for, what does your Bible say? Okay, there's all kinds of, we have Azazel. You say, Azazel, what is Azazel, okay? Azazel means this, to take away. Everyone say, take away. away. Now, uh, Tyndale, when he transcribed the Hebrew Bible into English in 1530, he came to Leviticus 16 and this word Azazel, and there wasn't an English translation for it. So he made up a word, (laughs) and he used the word escape goat, and then a couple years later, we dropped the E, and it's become what we know, the, the scapegoat. But the actual word is Azazel, to take away. So one is for the Lord, the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for what? Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel to take away. Now, what we need is a live goat. If we could get a live goat here today, I can actually show you how this works because remember we're dealing with an eastern culture the bible was written by eastern men and and it was more pictorial than anything it was about seeing it yes (laughs) what'd you do at church today (laughs) oh well we had a goat (laughs) now there were two goats that were brought up okay um, history will tell us that they tried to make them two identical goats. If you want an interesting Bible study, uh, research the first two twins, Jacob and Esau, and how they relate to the Day of Atonement. Pretty awesome. I'll, I'll save that for your small group, okay? <laughs> but they would bring two goats up. One was cast lots for the atonement, okay, to cover over. So one would go get sacrificed, okay? They would, they would put that on the altar. The second lot was designated for Azazel to, to, to be the scapegoat. So it's not like one goat is getting the better deal on the half, okay? They're both gonna have a bad day for the most part. All right, listen to this. Verse 20, you gotta picture this, you gotta see this. Verse 20, and when he, the high priest, has made an atoning, uh, atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat So at the pinnacle of this ceremony, at the pinnacle of it, is this extremely holy moment now where the high priest would go over to the goat and put his hands on the head of it. And 219,000 people sit in awestruck silence watching this. Because inside of their hearts, inside of their minds, listen, listen, listen. Eyes on the preacher. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're thinking this kind of thought. God, let it be me. Let it be my sin. Let it be my shame. Let it be my guilt. And after that was to, to be done, the priest would go away. And then they would assign, it says, a man in readiness to take the goat away. Now, this is interesting. What is the man in readiness? Well, there's lots of things you can find on it. Um, they would take the goat and, 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 and take it out to the wilderness. Um, but the question is, who is this man in readiness? Let me put it this way. Um, if you were just putting all your sin on this goat, do you want to be the one to take it out in the wilderness? <laughs> I don't want, that is one loaded goat, Am I right? So history tells us they would eventually end up assigning this duty to a Gentile, someone that was non-Jewish, to take the goat out into the wilderness. And just several years after God gave this, this instruction, history tells us that, that that Gentile, they were instructed to take it to a cliff, the goat, and push it off the cliff. Just to, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's, Right? I mean, the last thing you wanna see when you wake up on your front lawn is that goat, right? It's gonna be a bad day. (laughs) That is one loaded goat there. (laughs) Now, the question is, how holy is this event? I think you see, I think you understand now the gravity of what's going on here. But the question when it comes to the Day of Atonement is this, What is the purpose of this? Now, if I were to ask you that after just seeing everything and hearing all of what was instructed to you, what would you say is the whole point of the day of atonement? Maybe to be atoned for, right? To have your sins covered and not just covered, but taken away. You might say that that's the purpose of it. And I would say, yes, that is a major part of it. But if it was, listen to this to read you this verse. It's at the very end of Leviticus 16. At the very end after God gives all the instructions of what to do, in verse 30 he says this, "For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you, and you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins." Now, this is interesting because if this is the point of the day of atonement, why would God explain it at the very end of his instructions? Don't you think if, if there was a main reason that God would lead with that, right? I mean, you don't give instructions to your kids and then give the why at the very end of it, right? There's no motivation. Well, we find out God actually does give us the why at the very beginning. And I wanna read it to you because this part and the covering and the, the, the scapegoat of your sins is a big part of it, but I need you to hear the heart the core of God in his instructions here. In verse one, it says this. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said this to Moses. He says, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. The point at the very heart of the day of atonement is God saying this, I want relationship with you. Aaron and his two sons, they just strolled in, okay? You can't just do that. We're dealing with, this isn't just a a buddy here. And God could easily have said, listen, you guys, I'm done, I'll see you. And he doesn't do this. He says, listen, I want to make a way. I want to make a way so that we can still connect. But for us to connect, you've got to be clean of sin. I can't be in the same room as sin. I'm too holy. I need you to be holy. So I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way that you can do this. Do you see this? Do you understand this heart? Now, there's something very interesting that goes on between the goat and what we know is the red cord. Now, you won't find this in the Bible, but it's very well documented within Jewish history, okay? That after some time when the priest would lay his hands on the goat, at that point he would take a red cord and he would place it on the head of the goat. Red represents what? Blood, sin, guilt, and by doing this, remember, Eastern culture, it's pictorial, okay? It's about images representing something. By putting this on the head of the goat, you knew, as the people watching this, that your sin was now being transferred over to the goat that was then led away. <laughs> this is gonna get good. <laughs> All right, listen to this. If you got your Bibles, actually, don't turn there. I don't want you to turn there yet, okay? Okay. In John chapter 19, it's the story of Jesus' end of his life. He goes on trial. You remember this? All right, an innocent man goes on trial. He's accused. He's sentenced to death. He's beaten, okay? He's lashed. They twist a th- crown of thorns on his head. They put it on his head, right? And then Pilate yells out, here's the king of the Jews. And the audience, the crowd yells back, Cru- Yes, see, that's what I thought too. Crucify him, crucify him. It doesn't say that. Listen to what it says in verse 15. They cried out, away with him, away with him. Then they yelled, crucify him. (laughs) Azazel, Azazel, crucify him. Verse 16, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So here you have it. Here you have it. Jesus is beaten. They twist a crown of thorns. They place it on the head. They pierce his skin. If you pierce the skin with a crown of thorns, what color of a ring will will be made on your head? Red. Then the crowd yells out, Azazel, Azazel, take him away. And then when he is taken away, who leads him out? Does anyone remember? It's the Romans, the non Jewish, the Gentile. What is John saying in this? He's saying, guys, you know this story. You've seen it a thousand times. Every year we gather, every year we go to take our sins, to have them be covered and then see them taken away. Jesus is our Azazel. He is our scapegoat. And then listen to this. In Mark chapter 15, it says, Jesus breathed his last breath. In the very next verse, it says this that the veil of the temple was torn in two. The one thing, besides the priest, that separated us from God was now being ripped in half, in essence, saying, It's done. You have access. Is that not cool or what? <laughs> now. Yes. Yes, lord. <laughs> How many of you've been watching our high priest here and thinking, can't the brother just get a chair? <laughs> Some of your are just twitching like, man, can't he just relax? Can he sit down? Can you give him a break? then you understand what it felt like for the Jewish people when day in and day out, every year, they had to go and sacrifice and see the scapegoat. Because why? Because today we send our sins out there, but what's gonna happen this year? You're gonna sin, and you're gonna have to come back next year, and the year after, and the year again, And you'd think in their minds, they'd be thinking, can't we just have one sacrifice for all time? Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be good news? Hebrews chapter 10, verse one. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Is a shadow the details of something? No, it's a vague image of it, isn't it? Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. We know this, we've seen this. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins, verse three. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. Listen to this. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time Those who are being sanctified. You and I are being sanctified. Why? Because we had one priest that went for all time to represent me and you, to take your sin and not just cover it, but to take it away. If that don't get you excited, I don't know what will. Check this out. You'll find this in the Mishnah. It's a Jewish commentary, okay? So let me just read it. You're not gonna find this in the Bible, okay? But you'll find it in the Mishnah, a Jewish commentary. It was written by rabbis who did not believe, okay, that Jesus was the Messiah, okay? The Mishnah tells us that this practice of the red cord would go on the goat and then the priest would take the red cord and he would hang it on the altar or at the temple gates, okay? And then magically, mysteriously, overnight or over the next couple of days, it says that the red cord would turn white. (laughs) You remember that song? Oh, precious is the flow that... No other found. I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The Mishnah tells this, that in the year 70 AD, for no apparent reason, the red cord and the process of the red cord turning white stopped happening. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. 40 years, it says, before the destruction of the temple, this stopped turning white. That would be roughly around 30 AD, around the time Jesus started to minister, to heal the sick, to preach the gospel. It's as if God was literally telling everyone what used to work no longer works anymore. The system is done. It's over with. You don't need it because you have one sacrifice, one scapegoat that took your sin and my sin and he took it away. And now Christ resides in you. Listen, let me describe it this way. If you take a, a, a dead corpse and a live body, And if I were to cut the dead corpse, how long would it take for that corpse to heal? It never would, would it? Why? Because there's nothing inside of it that could help it heal. If I cut a human being, how long would it take to heal? A couple days maybe, right? Why? Because something is inside of it that's beginning to make that heal. Church, when sin comes up in your life, the old system used to be like a dead body. It would cut it, and you you had to wait till the day of atonement. There was nothing inside of you. But by Jesus being our sacrifice, He's now residing inside of us. So when sin cuts you, when sin wants to tear you down, you know that Christ is inside, healing that wound, so you never see it or use it again. It's gonna be good. Can you hand me a chair? Yeah, bring that chair up here. Now, in just a moment, our high priest is going to come and sit down. (laughs) And he's gonna come and sit down because Jesus Christ has sat down. And he sits next to the Father, waiting for the kingdoms of this earth to become the kingdom of his Father. And he's did this, and he's gonna do this because the work is done. It is finished. The sin is gone. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't still deal with it, right? It doesn't mean that we still that we don't have that struggle. We see it, but we don't have it residing in us anymore. So, when the high priest sits down, I think it would be appropriate for us to celebrate. How about you? Maybe. When the world comes to you and me and says, you should be ashamed. When our friends, when our own person says, do you remember that sin? Do you remember? Maybe our proper response should be, I don't see a goat around here. Maybe when the shame is so heavy that even walking in church, Feels inappropriate. Maybe our response as a community, as an individual, should respond you know what? The goat has left the building. Yes. <laughs> it's about freedom, it's about deliverance. Maybe when you feel a thousand miles away from God and you're the redheaded stepchild of all of the Christians, maybe you should remind yourself that the veil has been torn. And there is no more separation. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. There are times when we should celebrate the things that really matter, church. Now, we're gonna celebrate. I wanna raise the roof, if you will. I believe the Greek word is parte. Now, I don't know about you but I cannot celebrate sitting down, right? Now, in just a moment, our high priest is gonna sit down. And I know some of you are respectable, (laughs) highly looked up to individuals in your community, but we're not in your community. (laughs) I, I I know some of you later this afternoon, you're gonna watch a man in tights carry a ball across the line, and you're going to shout and hoop and high five and then come to church and be hallelujah. <laughs> Maybe the whole point of these yearly festivals was God, was God telling us, I want you to have rhythmic uh, uh, patterns in your life when you properly celebrate. <laughs> I was reading about how most of the festivals fall within the full moon. And it's as if God is saying, I'll take care of the lights, guys. You take care of the music and we're gonna have some fun, okay? (laughs) Now, when he sits down, I wanna raise the roof. I wanna celebrate like it actually means something. I wanna see women high-fiving. I wanna see guys hugging. I wanna see promise keepers all up in here, okay? Some of you get that. (laughs) Now, as the priest walks in silence to go and sit down, maybe you take a moment to reflect. Maybe you take a moment to remember when it all first became real in your life, when it became more than just getting to heaven, when it began to infect every part of your life. Because friends, that is good news. You ready? All right, this is gonna be so good. <laughs> All right, get your stretches out. I know some of you need it, okay? You ready? Yeah! Thank you, God. Thank you, God! Woo! <laughs> um.
1: All right, we're going to have some fun this morning, come on. one thing I'm needing a moment that's passing is not
0: It all. We're free. We can live. Go out of here boldly, excited for who he is. We'll see you next weekend. We love you guys. (laughs) Goodbye for now.